0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we this morning? Good. Good. That was almost joyful. Um, <laughs> by the end of the day, though, you're going to be excited. Uh, it's a it's a happy day here at uh, at Redeemer. Uh, this is a a little bit of a different sermon today. Most of the time, we we preach what we would call exegetically, which means that we take a, a, a passage of scripture and we go through it basically word by word. Uh, today is a little bit different because we have we have baptisms today, And uh, so we're a little shorter sermon, and it's going to be a little more what we call topical. Okay, so I'm kind of. Kind of using the text and then jumping off into a topic, which today is going to be baptism, okay, because we're doing baptisms. You see, it's, it's strategic planning is what that is. And so, uh, so so I want to chat with you a little bit about, about baptism this morning. And so my task is I have about 15 minutes to give you a complete 2,000-year history of the theology and background of baptism. So buckle up, let's go, and let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time. We pray, Lord, that your word would come alive to us, that, that the truth of your death and your resurrection could be seen in the baptism that we are going to take part in today. Lord, uh, Lord, let your spirit be our guide, Let our hearts on fire with a love for you, we pray. Amen. So here we go. This is baptism. Amen. No, this is baptism what, and baptism is one of the places where depending on whatever kind of background you have in church, whether you don't have any background in church or whether you have a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, Lutheran, whatever else you want to insert in there, this is a place where there's honestly a lot of confusion. What is actually is happening here at uh, at the uh, at, in the baptismal font First thing I want you to see is that from our reading today in Colossians that Paul talks about baptism as a normal part of the Christian life, okay? He says, he assumes when he writes to the church in Colossae, he, he assumes, he says, that you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So it is a normal part of the Christian life. It is commanded actually by God for us to be, as Christians, to be baptized. This is an extremely important moment in the life of the church and in those who are going through this sacrament today. Okay, So let me give you a little bit of context as to what, this, what is happening here. We call baptism a sacrament, okay? And if you went through catechism at all, you know that the definition of a sacrament is an outward, invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Okay, so what that means is that this is something that we can touch and see and taste and feel in this water that is reality. We can see it. It's real. It's right there. But that it points to something else that is happening that is just as real but we can't touch, see, taste, and feel it, right? When when we become Christians, it says that we are buried with Christ in his death and joined in him in his resurrection. You don't see that happen. Like you don't, you don't say, yes, Lord, I believe, fall down dead, get back up, and go, yep, definitely a Christian, right? That didn't happen. It is something that happens spiritual, but it is just as real as what is physical. And so here in the sacrament of baptism, and then at the sacrament of the Eucharist as well, what you, you have been given a gift by the Lord, who knows that we are physical people, we're made out of flesh, and that our faith doesn't just have to be intellectual or just emotional but that our bodies play a role in this as well. And he's given us the gift of these physical sacraments, physical likeness, things that we can touch, see, taste, and feel so that we can know that it's just as real, the spiritual things as well. If you ever have a chance, go read Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, what happens is Jesus is teaching in a, in a house. And there's so many people that, 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 they can't, that uh, a group of folks have a, have a friend who's paralyzed on a mat and they can't get him to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks up and he sees their faith. It says he sees the faith of his friends. He looks at this guy who is now dangling in front of him in the air. And he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And so there's a lot of murmuring about, Jesus. who's this Jesus guy, and how can he say your sins are forgiven? And so Jesus says, what, you think it's harder to say, get up and walk, or is it harder to say your sins are forgiven? But that you may know that I can forgive sins and that my words are true, I'll do this as well. Paralyzed man, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks and goes home. But why did he do the physical? To point to the reality of the spiritual right? To show, to say, yeah, you, you're right. There, I don't have any evidence from our words. Anybody can just say these things, but can anybody do this? Get up and walk. And in baptism, we have this physical touch, see, taste, and feel that says this is real, something that we can point to. And friends, in this time right now where we hear the word deconstruction a lot, where people want to take apart their faith, where they say, "I don't know, I just don't know if I feel it. I just don't know if i I just don't know if if um if if my spirit just kind of jives with that spirit, It's all of this kind of emotional language when our faith was never supposed to be meant uh, built just on what we feel. It, we can come to something objective and say, "I've been baptized. I can point to my baptism and say, Here is a moment of physical faith. When my feelings don't feel like I'm a Christian, when my brain doesn't understand when I'm doubting, it's something for us to be able to say, this happened to me. And it's so interesting in our Western culture that we've divorced a lot of the physical aspect of things from the spiritual side of our faith. But you know that the spiritual side of you affects the physical side of you. Try getting really stressed out Does it affect you physically? Your hair falls out. I mean, like literally your hair can fall out if you get too stressed, right? I mean, your body starts to break down. Our bodies and our spirits are connected. They are together. We cannot break them apart and just go, ah, the body doesn't mean anything at all, and it's just about faith. The physical and the spiritual are one. That's because the God who created us created the physical and the spiritual, and they come together here in this. So we see what the reformers, the the reformed, the people who helped to lead the reformation in the church in the 16th century, what they used to call this is the visible word. So right now I'm preaching the word. You can hear it. There you can see it. I can say to you, you should be united with Christ and his death and resurrection through faith. And that when you go down into that grave and you come up with Christ, you are welcomed into the Christian community. I can tell you that that's the gospel. And then I can lead you to these waters and I can show you that's the gospel. Because here, there's death and resurrection. And when they come up sputtering and they look out, who is it that is receiving them but their new family in the church? This is the visible word. This is the visible gospel. Christ himself ordained these things, told us to to be baptized. Now, another important aspect of this is that we see in baptism and in the Eucharist as well that this is not just a public profession of our faith. This is important because this is going to play into something we're about to talk about in just a minute. This is not just a public profession of our faith. But in our understanding of the sacrament is it's not just us doing something to God, but that somehow, mysteriously, God works through baptism and the Eucharist, our two sacraments. God works through them into us. God is actually at work. This is what we would call a means of grace, that God gives a grace through something like this in the sacraments. Now, you might go, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Read the New Testament. Um, That's where you'll see that God oftentimes works through physical things in order to be able to reach us. In fact, in Acts, Paul was praying for people. People brought handkerchiefs, laid them on Paul, and then took them to sick people, laid them on the sick people, and the sick people got well. That's New Testament stuff. I didn't make that up. God works through the physical, and that is okay. It doesn't mean that these things have to become superstitious, It doesn't mean that these things have to be idolatrous. These are given by God to work in us and through us. And so there's a partnership here where we bring a faith, where he brings his power and his grace at work in us. The sacraments are a means of grace. Now, there's one other thing, that, one other aspect of the definition of the sacraments. The full definition is this. A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. God gives us a sign as a means by which we receive that grace. We just talked about all that. And then finally, it says, and as a tangible assurance that we do, in fact, receive it. So there's a tangible assurance. So in our moments of doubt, we can go, am I a Christian? Yes, I was baptized. If Karen and I—Karen's my wife. If you haven't met my wife—if um, Karen and I are, are are having a disagreement because I'm completely wrong about something—that and we are and we are and we're having a disagreement—and there's that moment where you might not feel married. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, where it's just like right in this sort of anger, there's a distance, and then I can go, but I've still got this. This is a sign of our covenant, right here that's beyond my feelings in the moment or whether I slept well last night or whether the meatball sub that I had the day before is bothering me and so it's it's interrupting our marriage that day. Uh, I have this. this. This is a physical sign of our covenant. And so when we have those times of doubt and we go, I, just, I don't know if I'm a good Christian, I don't know, does God love me? We point back to our baptism and say, here's the sign of our covenant. It's a tangible assurance. Now, with all of that happening here, with entrance into the Christian community through baptism, in, in many, I'll say this before I move on, in many traditional churches, this, this sanctuary part of things here, right, in, in that little room in there that, that you'd look at and say, oh, that's the foyer. It's oftentimes called the narthex, right, because that sounds awesome. And, uh, and, so, and so right between the narthex and the nave, which is this part, the sanctuary, Oftentimes, this baptismal font sits right there. And in the ancient church, if you were not baptized, you had to go to church and sit out there. And communion would happen in here. And you'd sit out there and you'd go, I want to, I want that. God's active and a part of that. And you go, yes, and we want you to be a part of that. And that happens through the death and resurrection of Christ as you are baptized and brought into the Christian community. The way into the place of salvation is through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why baptism is the sacrament of justification and of being brought into the church. Now, in a couple of minutes we have left, let me deal with two frequently asked questions. This is, where, this is where there's issues that we have together in baptism sometimes. It usually comes down to two things. One is the amount of water. <laughs> Can you sprinkle? Do you have to dunk? Right? And the second is the age of the person who is being baptized. Do they have to be a believer and an and, and, and adult, or do they have to be an infant? Or either way. most No one says you have to be an infant. I don't think anybody says that. But do, can we baptize babies or not? So here's the first one we're going to deal with real quickly. The amount of water. Here's my response. Really? I mean, we're talking about God himself becoming one of us, dying and resurrecting, bringing people into the salvation that is offered to the church. And we really think that the amount of water has to do with the the effectiveness of this. (laughs) Friends, if we pour water over their head, if we dunk them underneath, it's all going to be okay. All right, Jesus, there's not Jesus up there with like a, like a measuring angel, you know, who's got, who's got a little beaker catching the water and being like, oh, it didn't make the line. <laughs> right? Like this one doesn't count. I'll have him do it again. We're just going to be okay on that one. All right? Um, I, I was visiting a person in a hospital one time and, uh, and they were on the verge of death. And we were there and they uh, confessed their sins and they said, I've never been baptized. I wrapped a towel around their neck, took a styrofoam cup, dipped it in the sink, blessed that water, and splashed it on their head in in that hospital bed. Did that take? Yes, it did. (laughs) All right, now, what about babies? Why do we baptize babies? Okay, first of all, this. Let me give the scriptural basis for this. One, in the scripture, it doesn't ever say not to, which is a big deal, okay? It doesn't say baptize adults, it says baptize. Uh, it's, and we, in, in fact, see lots of scriptural examples in the New Testament of entire families being baptized. Acts chapter 16, there's a guy in Philippi, he's a, he runs the jail. He ends up coming to Christ. It says he and his whole family are baptized. His whole household are baptized. Uh, Cornelius in chapter 10 of Acts, his whole household. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about Stephanus and his household. Okay, So there's lots of examples in the New Testament of entire families being baptized. Also, part of evidence of this is that it is a really new innovation for us to not baptize infants. It was done for thousands of years until some portion of the people during the Reformation decided it wasn't a good idea. I mean, so you've got thousands of years of history with this as well. But here, let me get a little more theological on you on this. If we understand this to be a sacrament, that it's not just about the faith that we bring, that's a part of it. But it's also about God working through this. And so when I baptized my children, I wanted them to receive the grace that is bestowed here. How does that work? I have no idea. There's a mystery that's involved in this. But if God is saying things like in Acts chapter 2, when... um, When Peter preaches the first Christian sermon on Pentecost and he preaches about the death and resurrection of Christ and the people say, they're cut to the heart and they say, well, what do we do? And he says, repent, believe, be baptized and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If this is the kind of thing that the scripture says, if people try to bring their children to Jesus and the disciples say no, and Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, bring them to me, I'm bringing my child to Jesus. And it happens here. Now, if, if you don't understand this as a sacrament, and you just understand this as a profession of faith, then it doesn't, under, it doesn't make any sense to baptize infants. But we don't believe that baptism is just that. Plus, here's the other thing you're thinking, I can read your mind, um, that you're thinking this, oh, but Dan, you just said there has to be an element of faith. And so how does a baby bring faith to this? First of all, I would say this, the scripture tells us that you bring nothing to your salvation. You didn't bring anything to Jesus to make him convince you to forgive, to forgive you. He didn't, you didn't come and like, oh, yeah, that's enough faith. I will now give you forgiveness. We come dead in our sins, is what Ephesians says. Helpless, unable to save ourselves. If you're baptized when you're 30 or 50 or 80, you bring no more to this baptismal font than little Thea, who's only four months old, is going to bring today. And so if Jesus is the actor in this, then baptizing our infants is showing us that this is exactly the heart that we should bring as well. Plus, there is a faith that is brought to this font. Thea, or Hazel, or any of the other children who can't speak for themselves, who would be baptized today, do have faith that accompanies them. In Mark chapter 2, when, those, when, they're, when the guys were lowering their friends down on that mat, he didn't look at that guy and say, you are full of faith, your sons are forgiven. It says, he saw the faith of his friends and looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Friends, our faith is a communal faith. It's not just about my Jesus and my Bible and my salvation and my sinner's prayer. It is about the church. It is about Jesus and his people. And so there is a faith that is brought here to this baptismal font and is the faith of their parents and the faith of the church. The scripture talks about baptism being a sign and it talks about baptism being a seal. And when you hear about a seal, think about a king's decree. So you've got a piece of paper that he's written something. These are the promises that I, the king, am going to grant to you. And he writes them on there, and he folds them up, and he stamps his wax seal on there. Baptism is that seal that says, these are the promises of God, and I give my stamp as the king himself. Now, those things are true even before that letter is opened. And they are granted by the authority of that steel, that seal. What happens here? Yes, we're going to come around, Thea and Hazel and all of the other children. We are making vows here today that are just as important as your wedding vows. We're going to turn to you and say, "Will you do all in your power to help raise these children in Christ. And you all are going to say, we will. That is as important as the vow that you said, I do when you got married. And so here... We see that we are going to make promises as the community to help these children who are being baptized today live into their faith so that when that, that seal that is on there, that they will live into the contents of what God has promised them. This is about the promises of God and what God brings to the table and his people living into it and working it out. So can we baptize babies? Yes, we can. And we do it joyfully. And we do it happily. And we do it through the faith of the community. And so what I want you to see as we move into our baptisms here, there's something beautiful that's happening here. There's something spiritual and mysterious that is happening here. There is something that is causing the angels in heaven to rejoice that is happening here. This is a thin space. Right here, where all the company of heaven, the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven are on the edge of their seats going, Here it comes. And it's happening here, and you are in the midst of this miracle that is taking place. And you are a part as you vow to help raise these people in Christ. This is a great day, church, and much is being asked of you. And Jesus has much to do in this place. So without further ado, Let's get to it, shall we?